As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The U, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge. It's a cane thing when we walk through, with the you ain't no bark, dude, straight dog when we bring the fight, ain't scared of no bright lights. It's Welcome back to the Wide Red Podcast, I'm Manny Navarro, your host, Miami Hurricanes beat writer, joined tonight. April 1st, this is not an April Fool's joke, by Carlos Ledo, my wingman over at Onside Radio for about six weeks, diehard Canes fan. Carlos, it, may be, it may be April Fool's after all the stuff I say tonight, but for now, we're okay. All right, you're on. And of course, the guy with three national championship rings and a lot of history, a lot, a lot of history, Mr. Kelvin Harris. Kelvin, how you doing? Pretty good, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. We got. I think he just he just called together. you old on the slide. Well, no, he's just me. he's he's very he's full of wisdom. That's what he is. <laughs> so I wanted to start the show tonight by talking about Howard Schnellenberger because that really is the biggest news of the week. Uh, passing away at age 87. I wrote a big story on him for the Athletic. Everybody wrote big stories, uh, but. Susan's was better than yours. She, it always is. That's why she's at the Miami Herald and I'm at the Athletic. So I agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm barely hanging on here. You know. Hey, that. listen, Manny, don't don't uh, don't put down the Athletic. I'm a big Athletic supporter. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, and I like and I like the site too. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kelvin, I want to start with you because even though you didn't play for Howard Schnellenberger. Um, he was around the program in some way, shape or form, uh, whether it was coming back for celebrations and whatnot. So I'm sure you must have crossed paths with him at oh, one yeah, point he, or another. He would come to all the, all the big games, you know, and be in the, the players alumni suite. But the guys that were uh, seniors when I were, was I uh, was a true freshman, they were the last Snellenberger recruits technically mm-hmm. that, actually played on the Snellenberger and, you know, uh, he left a, uh, he left a, a big impression with those guys and they, the lessons they learned from him, they brought with them with Jimmy and combining the two coaches, those guys were special group players and they, um, they, they, tried to teach us like they were taught, you know, because Eddie Brown took Melvin Braden and Lonzo and those guys under his wing because he was the, the upperclassman senior and he showed them how to be canes. And, you know, it's just, you know, but when you would see the Schnellenbergers, because it wasn't just uh, the coach, it was his wife, it was the son, they would all be in the suite. And he didn't come as much as his son and his wife because his son came to every game. But he would show up and, you know, uh, it was a big time. Came back. I remember he came back for the '83 uh, reunion after one. I forget which game it was, and everybody was excited to see him. Um, but he he is the anchor that made the program what it was, and um, you know even Jimmy, you know, to a certain extent, uh, 
paid homage to that. Nobody, uh, he didn't get shortchanged by any coach in the program, like the ones that I were around. Um, and then I had friends that played with him, played, excuse me, played for him at Louisville. And actually, I got a couple of friends that played for him at Oklahoma. And the ones at Oklahoma, I mean, he, uh, he left a hell of an impression on them because he ran the dog crap out of them. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he scared the hell out of them that they went, got him fired after a year. They just, they couldn't handle it. <laughs> um, Carlos, I want to ask you just as a fan perspective, um, you know, obviously he coached his last game, the national championship in 83 and then went, you know, took basically was going to take a job to run what was going to be the USFL team here in Miami that mm-hmm. never happened. Never materialized, right? Yeah. And, and the face of coaching at Miami changed forever. I mean, Jimmy Johnson came in, made his career here. Uh, Dennis Erickson came in, made his career here. Uh, and the, Butch Davis. Yeah. Butch Davis. I mean, everybody, there were so many coaches that came to Miami and made their careers here because Howard left. And yet, you know, he's not in the College Football Hall of Fame, even though he basically got FAU's program off the ground, built Louisville into what it is today, won, obviously, Miami's first championship. Um, and it's, it's incredible that he's not in the Hall of Fame. Hopefully, Well, they- listen, it, it, for Hurricane fans, and I think it's, it's, I mean, young and old and people that know the program, that follow the program and know the history of the program, if you're building a Mount Rushmore of Miami Hurricane greats, Howard Schnellerberger is the first one you put on that mountaintop because there is no – title run dynasty if there isn't howard schnellenberger first he built that foundation yeah, yes he got the first national title but it, there was work to be done before that national title came about um i mean the guy is such a such a legend sebastian the ibis doesn't have a pipe in his mouth if it's not for howard schnellenberger think about mm-hmm. that yeah. you know what i'm saying that's that's how legendary the dude is and everybody that's come after him has built on that legacy because he set the standard of what miami football should be and what it should look like he came up with the state of Miami. He came up with all those things. And it's, it's incredible that South Florida has had these legendary coaches down here. And these two coaches, Howard Schnellenberger and Don Schuler, are intertwined because they coached together with the Dolphins. Schnellenberger Fun. came and brought some of that Shula here, right, on that 72 team, brought that to the Hurricanes and instilled that. And it's been, you know, lights out ever since. That's, that's the why the program took off the way it took off. And as a fan, it's, it's great to see people honor him and respect him and know the legacy. Because like I said, without him, there is no Jimmy Johnson. There is no Dennis Erickson. There is no Butch Davis. There is no 2001. All this is built on the back of what Howard laid down as a foundation. Mm, yeah. We're going to, I'm going to play some audio here. I interviewed Melvin Bratton and Alonzo Highsmith, two of his prized recruits from that special class that he brought in that not only won the championship in 83, but, laid the foundation for 87 and I got a chance to talk to both of those guys for about 10 minutes. I actually broke the news to them that Howard had passed away Saturday morning. They had no clue. And, you know, they were saddened to hear it, but I wanted to play some highlights from those interviews. So here's Melvin Bretton, Alonzo Highsmith uh, talking about Howard Schnellenberger and what he meant to them. You know, truly saddened. Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he is the university of Miami, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, he's the reason why Miami take nothing away from Jimmy Johnson or all those coaches, but Jimmy Jack, but how was Schoenberg was is was and will always be the foundation of the University of Miami mm-hmm. football. Yeah, I mean, uh, what what he did to build that thing is uh, he he is the foundation, as you said. Um, when when was the last time you saw him, man? When was the last time you talked to him? Uh, saw him at the um, saw him at the when we had the little reunion mm-hmm. in Miami. Yeah, all the guys were there, so he was there, him and his wife, and everything. Can, can you share one of your, I guess, the, the memories that you'll always have of him, maybe recruiting you or something that just sticks out of your mind as a personal story? Probably my freshman year when he told me he was moving me to running back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you know, he was a very intimidating man, and when he called me to his office, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> the secretary said Coach Stoneberg wants to see you, and you're just sitting in the office. You're trying to wonder everything you did that, could, that you could have gotten in trouble for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, actually, actually, I'm about to turn myself in for something. I don't know what I did. <laughs> and I'm just sitting in his office, and he's he's late. He's talking with some other coaches. And I'm just sitting there wondering what did we do last night. Maybe we weren't supposed to go to the movies. Maybe I didn't do something. Maybe he's going to tell me I'm not good enough to play here. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so I thought of everything that could possibly, I could have done wrong. Then he called me in his office and told me why he was moving me to running back and you know he told me I there's no doubt in my mind you can be an all American running back mm-hmm. um, but you're what we're looking for in offense because of your ability to run block and catch and if you make this move to running back we'll be a better team mm-hmm and I resisted. I didn't want to do it. I cried, thought about it. And if he had told me I could be, he was moving me to run, play run. He, if he had told me he was moving me to run it back to win the Heisman Trophy or be an All-American, I would have done it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when he told me by you doing this, you're making us a better team, I've always been a team player first. Mm-hmm. And that's why I made the switch. Right. And of course, it, it helped your career, right? I mean, and you... I believed in him. I don't think, I don't know. I think, I think if I played right back, I think I would have been a number two or number one pick instead of three. Mm-hmm. If I played linebacker. Right. I've always held that in my mind. You have, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, but I did it for the team. And uh, it, it it worked out well for myself and everyone involved. Yeah, and you guys obviously uh, won the championship that that yep. first year. Um, what what do you think about when he left, man? Do you, do you ever think he regretted it? You know, he could have been I like a Bobby so. Bowden. I, I think I, I think if Howard hadn't left, he would have been going down in history with the legendary coaches, same as Jimmy Johnson, if he hadn't left. Mm-hmm. I think he would have went down as one of the legendary coaches in college football. Yep, and instead it feels like some people he forgotten him. Won. He, him and Jimmy probably would have won 10. They, whatever's, they probably would have won one or two more national championships than Nick Saban. Wow. <laughs> yeah, think about it. Yeah. I mean, in that between 1983 and 19 and 2000, we played. We were involved in 10 games that that were for the national championship. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We, we won five, and we we lost how many other ones? Right, <laughs> four. You know? Right, yeah, yeah. So and then there then there was eight. Then they had the old days, the rankings. You know. Mm-hmm. How many games times did we lose one game and didn't get put in for the national championship? You know what I mean? Right. You know, if we beat Tennessee my junior year, we win a national championship. Because we beat Oklahoma and they beat Penn State. We all would have been 11-1, and one, you know? Mm-hmm. You're right. Um, you know, my senior year, we lose to Penn State. Then you win it against Alabama. And then they win it against Oklahoma. And then it just goes on and on. Yeah, it would have been the greatest run ever. Yep, easy. Yep. Yep. So wow. I probably think, at the end of the day, Jimmy Johnson, you know, he had success outside because he was able to turn the Dallas Cowboys into a historic team. Right. But if either one of them had stated Miami, there's no telling how many national championships they would have won. Yep. Yep. Crazy. Uh, where are you now, Alonzo? Where, I forget which team you're with now. You're with Seattle? I'm an executive football for the Seattle Seahawks. Okay. I was trying to keep up with you, man. You know how it is. Yeah. I know how you guys yeah. move around. 
<laughs> and what about uh, the, the last time? I guess you spoke to Schnellenberger. What did you guys talk about, man? What was kind of that? You remember any any of the conversations? You know, we were just talking about old times and yeah. know, memories. Yeah. Yeah. Did he ever tell you he regretted leaving Miami, or he never said that? No, no, I don't think he did. Okay. You know, right. you know he built two more programs: Louisville and Florida Atlantic. Right. You know, he told me his. I remember when he first went to Florida Atlantic, he told me his dreams for the program, and you know, and everything. I went to lunch with him day when he was at FAU. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about the future, what his visions were for FAU, and he did it again. <laughs> he did. He turned them into a winner, man. Yeah. Everywhere he went, he did. Yeah. What do you hope people remember about him? Um, I think when you think of Hal Schellenberg, you think of a builder. Mm-hmm. He won't get the credit that a lot of coaches get because he, he wasn't in one place for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. But he built and left the foundation everywhere he went. Right. Absolutely. And a great man. I think he was just respected by his players. And a great right? man. Yeah. And an honest man. And a man of integrity. Taught me how to... Taught me more about football. When I saw the movie The Junction Boys, mm-hmm. about Bear Bryant, I understood why he put us through the things he put us through my freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to be tough. He was demanding. And he demanded everything out of you for the team. Mm-hmm. And um, I think back now, between Howard and Jimmy, what they taught me about life and the aspect of hard work and practice. And if you look at those teams that played for Vince Lombardi, a lot of those people went on to be successful after football because of the lessons they learned from Howard Sheldon. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy and people like that. Did he have to convince you at all to go to Miami? I mean, to sell you no. on it? Okay. No, I believed in him. Right. What was it I, when you met him that, that made you believe in him? Oh, man, he told me a vision about where the University of Miami could be in football if you had one mm-hmm. great recruiting class, you know? That's what he sold you on. <laughs> he yeah. got all you guys. Yeah, he said, you, Melvin Bratton, Jerome Brown, Winston Moss, and all these guys, if you guys come here, we can turn this into something special. And um, that's when I said, you know what? Okay, I'm in. Yep. And you, and you bought in, and, and that was it? I bought in. That was it. He brought the old pipe the old pipe uh, to, the, to the house and left it there? He did that to you, too? No, no he left it at Melvin's house. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, um, I have fond memories, and I thank him, really, for everything. Mm-hmm. I showed people a letter he wrote me when I was in Canada. I didn't even know him. He didn't know me. But he replied to a letter I wrote. Really? That's how that's how he started. Okay. And he didn't know me though. I was just a tenth grader in Canada. Mm-hmm. Right in universities and he was one of the only universities that wrote me back. And that's what got your interest, huh? Yep. <laughs> wow. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I've been speaking about it, you know, I just got on social media. I think I requested your first one too, yeah, just, uh, damn, man. Yeah, matter of fact, I got a picture, the last Zoom meeting that we did, and I saw it in his, you know what I'm saying, just like, like in his eyes, 
Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, that's why I say I love you, Coach, like that at the end. So, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got a screenshot of that picture in my phone. I, I, kept, I kept it in there. You did? You got to send it yes. to me, man. You got to send it to me. What did you, um, what, what was your conversation with him? I mean, I guess, were you talking to him frequently or? No, no, no. I mean, we just did, uh, you know, a couple of uh, shows, like uh, different guys, like Michael Barrow show and uh, this couple of you on shows. Me, uh, uh, Gary Stevens was on, uh, I think, Art Kehoe. Uh, I did one with Dennis Erickson. But the one with him, I, I, I screenshot that picture because I felt in my spirit, like, this may be like the last time I get a chance to visually see him rather than person or not, just to interact with him, to have a voice with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I friend requested Beverly, his wife. Matter of fact, about a couple weeks ago. Oh wow! This is all on Facebook. On Facebook. Yes. Uh huh. Wow. And um, and I guess what, what did you guys talk about? You said you had him on the show. I'm wondering what did you guys talk about. Oh no, we were just talking about the, the legacy. You know, saying just him and uh, I, I wrote a caption about. Uh, matter of fact, I don't know who page I'm on. I need to find it, but I had it. I wrote on somebody's page how you know saying he came. And, and, and so my house, and I made a joke about him leaving his pipe mm-hmm. at my house. I said, if I knew what I knew now, him being a legend, I'd have held on to the pipe and I'd have made millions of dollars off the, the pipe. I don't know who, who page she was, but I just did that. I posted that on somebody's page about, about him. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I said, hell, if I knew what I knew in the 83, when he came and he left his pipe at my house, and I took it to school the next day, uh-huh. and, uh, and was showing everybody like, yo, Hey, this is good. It was cherry, cherry filled, uh, tobacco. Mm-hmm. And I took it, I cleaned it up, and I was walking around like I was Howard Stellenberg at Myron Northwestern, showing all the homeboys, you know, saying, like, hey man, this goes Stellenberg a fight. He's like, man, are you serious? I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I just posted that. It was somebody, I don't know who the hell paid it was, but I just said that story about it's probably a couple weeks ago. Yeah. He, um, was he deteriorating fast, or was he still pretty sharp? Like in terms of, he, he, you know, he was a little, 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 little nah, he, he, you know what? He's been slowly, just slowly, you mm-hmm. know, what I'm saying slowly, you know, what I'm saying being, he's still a tenor, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying he had a process, you know, what I'm saying before he speak, mm-hmm. but he understood, right? He understood. Close I was on there. I think Bernie was on there too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. me and Bernie, it was, it was a nice. I don't know who put that together, but it was a nice uh, deal that we did, and uh, coaches, well, the guests. And all of us was just telling stories how we appreciated, you know, this, you know, I can write a book on him alone with me personally. Yeah. And I went out, yeah, when I wanted to transfer, because he registered me, I was pissed. He gave Hotsmith and Jerome Brown and uh, Winston Moss. Then he didn't register them. He registered me and Tarver Bain. And I was pissed. <laughs> I called my mom. I said, man, this dude is, he, he, he's tripping, man. He's talking about not playing me this year. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, to transfer. And my mom said, you made the decision. Sit your behind down and stay. You committed. So, what what did he say? What did he say to convince you? Did he did you did you talk to him? When you, what did you, what did he tell you when you told him you were going to transfer? No, he knew I was pissed, so he called a meeting with all the research, me, Brian Blaze, all of us, that, that class, the eighty three class, except four guys didn't get registered: Ray Cozy, High Smith, uh, Winston Moss, and uh, Jerome Brown. Mm-hmm. Everybody else in that class, it's like thirty of us. Everybody else got registered: Stubbs, everybody. So. I was so pissed, and I sat to the back of the room. So when he was talking to all the freshmen, he looked around the room. He said, I know there's a lot of you guys here have egos and want to play, but you're not ready you know, right now. I'm registering you guys, whatever. He said, everybody okay with that? Then he turned, he said, Melvin, like that. <laughs> he looked at me. He called me out. I just said, yucko, I'm all right, like that. I was pissed. I was living. I was living, yeah. And he convinced yeah, but, I, you, but I did, but it actually worked out for me because, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't, you know, on a, a, a weight program at the time, come out of Northwestern. I wasn't ready. You know, mentally I thought I was ready, but physically I wasn't. So it, it was the best move ever. Yeah. What do you think would have happened, man, had he stayed? Right now, what, what Nick Saban is doing right now, mm-hmm. that's, that's exactly, Nick would be chasing his record right now had he stayed at Miami. Mm-hmm. Do you, yeah. think, do you think he ever regretted leaving at all or no? Oh, of course, of course, of course. I've had conversations with him, you know, saying just, you know, just, you know, just in general. But yes, he, he, you know, he looks and, you know, no, no, no discredit to Jimmy, no discredit to Craig, I mean, Dennis Erickson, you know, those guys. But the foundation was set. And that's why Nick having a hard time leaving, you know, saying that legacy that he's building, you know, saying he's built, you know, saying it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's a turnkey. It's like, you know, assembly line for Williams to Cadillac, you know, saying <laughs> receiving cars. 
it's a process. He know all the parts. He know how to get it, and they it come out A one cars every year. So the the Escalade is, is you know he got the Escalade. You know Nick has Escalade. <laughs> Yeah, and you guys would have been that that machine, man. Yeah, um, we would have. We would have been a, a factory, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and yet if he doesn't leave, you don't have Jimmy. You don't. I mean, it's amazing that one decision, right? How it affected so many different it, people. It burst. It burst. Uh, Dave Wanstead. It burst. Uh, Dave Campo. It burst. Gary C. I mean, it burst so many head coaches. Tommy Tupperville, Ryan Meeks. So under that tree, it burst a whole lot of guys. Coach Alexander. You know, I mean. You know, just so many guys that he that started that legacy, even us. Right. Hell, I mean, Ben Lonzo, I, 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 honestly, in that 30 for 30, we were two kids. We had went to Ohio State. We went, I went to Michigan. I went to Pitt. I went to Texas A&M School private jet to pick me and Talbert and Tommy Street up. And Lonzo was all over the country, too. And one night, we just sitting there talking, and both of us was on the same page. Like, you know what? I said, hey, what you think? He said, what you think? I said, man, you know what? F those rest of those schools. I said, let's stay home and change us. I didn't know none of the players. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know, you know what I'm saying? Albert Bentley, Speedy Neal, Keith Griffin. I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? Right. Running backs. Right. And, you know, so when, when, um, um, Kaufman, Coach Kaufman, uh, uh, no, Charlie Funk. One of them, yeah, he was on doing a radio show, mm-hmm. TV show, and we did, did high school football after, you know, saying they'll show it. Somebody, they said, somebody to tell Mel Bratton they graduated all the running backs, mm-hmm. and he could come right in and play right away. And that hit me that night because he knew I'd be watching that broadcast. It was a repeat mm-hmm. game of us the night before. Right. And I'm like, damn. I said, damn, you know what? Let me look into this. And that's really what sparked my interest. And Alonzo and I, we, just, we became best friends, and we just – Decided one night over the phone around midnight, like, look, let's stay here, let's keep it, let's go recruit, let's go help build this class. Mm-hmm. And we won one of the first uh, group to say, let's go help recruit the class. That's what we really got Jerome Brown, Brian Blaze. I mean, we went and we did everything that you know to build this program mm-hmm. to help recruit. You know, I was in high school when a top kid would come, I would go meet the guy and take him out and hang out with us. And I hadn't even got to the U yet. Wow, so you were already recruiting for him. Yes, yeah, we did that. We Alonzo and I recruited that that spring before we got there that fall. Wow, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. You guys, you you guys all built it together. What uh, what what do you hope people remember about Coach Nellenberger and his legacy? You know what, clean and iconic. You know, what I'm saying, and he didn't do anything illegal to to get us. You know, what I'm saying he mm-hmm. didn't. You know, he didn't do anything. Everything was above board. You wanted to play for Miami, you know what I'm saying? And I'm starting to see kids committing now. They want to put their orange and green on. We developed a culture to the point where, you know, just, you know, not saying anybody, I'm not saying other teams, don't put that in other teams, put down papers on guys, but mm-hmm. you, it was a culture that you were honored to get a phone call or get an offer, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. from Miami. Mm-hmm. And when most guys back then, when once Miami offered, they shut it down, you know what I'm saying? Right. I just want to go to Southern Cal, my last visit. I just want to go to California to see what the heck California was about. I canceled my trip, you know. I was like, man, you know, I'm not going to waste some people's time, you know. Yeah. So yeah. the legacy that he left is you. if you want to be part of something, start something. Mm-hmm. Did Miami treat him right all the way through? I mean, it feels like they honored him all the time, right? The school did a good man, job? All, all the time. I mean, yeah. Even they embraced the FAU move, you know what I'm saying? Right. They still, you know what I'm saying, brought him and talked about him. Even Jimmy, 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 Jimmy Johnson gives Howard a whole lot of respect, you know? Right. You know, for Jimmy to jump to leave Oklahoma State and them in the middle of the summer, you know what I'm saying? He saw, you know what I'm saying, the opportunity of the mindset of us and our attitude. You know what I'm saying? We, we didn't need no coach to, uh, to tell us to go train. If right. you didn't train, we would go kick your ass. We would go to the dorm room. If a guy missed a workout, you know what I'm saying? Right. We would kick their ass and go like, look, you better than us. And we held everybody accountable. And that's what Howard bought out of us. You know what I'm saying? It, I mean, three days. We, we're freshmen. This, this, this crazy old man got us out there at six in the morning. I'm talking about going. And then we go, we didn't take a shower. We'll go eat and come back at nine on the field, break for lunch, and then come back at four. We back at it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, man, this dude is crazy. But it taught us toughness. Even like right now in my business being a sports agent and on a bottled water company, there's a lot of competitors in all those space. You know what I'm saying? Water is, is, is a hard space. You know, King Water is my, is my partner and I, uh, Fahim Ali. But now in the agency, it's a big cesspool of agents, but I 
I'm still feel like I'm the top on that. Just my mindset coming from Howard Zellerberger. Yeah, just because of all the lessons he taught you how to be tough. Exactly. So I don't, I don't, I don't fear nothing or nobody and no business or no space at all because of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great, man. You know, uh, Alonzo sent me. A, I guess he he had written him a handwritten letter when he was in Canada in the tenth grade, and uh, he. he uh, I guess Howard was the only one who responded to him, you know, that wow. actually wrote back. So it's cr- wow. it's crazy, like, maybe some of the special things that he would do, like you said, leaving the pipe at your house, all those little personal touches, you know, that, that made him uh, attractive to, to, to guys, you know? You know what, he, he, he was a, he was a, 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 a Microsoft or a, a Amazon, Michael Bezos, he was that CEO of back then to now how to pull people together, how to orchestrate. So he was at, you know, Sam Warren Buffett, those successful you know, people, you know, the black man there, billionaire, uh, I can't think of the brother's name. So he, he, he was a CEO and knew how to, to orchestrate and put all the things together. Yep, he was. It's amazing. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, so you just heard from both of those guys. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool to to get their voices in the story, considering they played for Schnellenberger and, and felt his influence. Um, they were the main guys I quoted in my story when I wrote it Saturday. So um, just a special man, and uh, I wanted to make sure we addressed that here on the podcast before uh, we moved on to spring football and everything else that's been sort of going on since our last podcast about three weeks ago. So. Um, I appreciate both of you guys coming on with me. Let's talk a little bit about spring football. Uh, Carlos, I'll start with you just from a fan perspective. You've been keeping up with all the stories. You've seen the tweets. I know you do because you like and you retweet what you like. Um, Stop stop following my Twitter feed, Manny, and look at what I'm doing on Twitter. You're spying (laughs) on me. You're stalking on me. I don't like it. Yeah, man. That's how I keep up with the team because I I sleep through most of those press conferences. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you do. I do. Derek Veronis is carrying me, as as you mentioned many times, Kevin. Um, he, he's got back problems now. He, he does. He can barely walk. Um, Carlos, what's, what's grabbed your attention most? Because I don't want to sit here and highlight everything that that's gone on because it's kind of, you know, useless at this point. So right. Many people have read it, but what sticks out to you? Listen, I think what everybody was most interested going into and seeing and going into the spring practice was how are these young quarterbacks going to respond? You know, if De'Ara King isn't ready or if somebody's got to take over and what does the future look like? And so far from what's been reported, both these dudes are legit and they, they're competing very hard. And what I'm really surprised by is how good Tyler Van Dyke is, because I know like you mentioned in your story early on when you went to go see him in Connecticut and, and we talked about, you know, his the league he played in and the kind of competition he was face to, facing, you know, it, there was talent there. There was arm strength, there was ability, but would he be able to translate that to a big one a big D1 program in the ACC playing power five competition. I mean, and so far from what we've read and what we've seen, it sounds like he has. I think the other big uh, surprise this camp so far has been the play of Xavier Restrepo, especially now in this last scrimmage. You know, uh, people always compared him to Braxton Berrios just because obviously of of his uh, physical makeup. But if he can be that Braxton Berrios already coming into his sophomore year, redshirt freshman year, I mean, that's a huge weapon to use in the slot. I mean, that's the guy you can use to move the chains. And the more weapons you have, the better, especially in that wide receiver room. The other thing that caught my attention is that, uh, according to your homeboy, Barry Jackson, you know, D. Wiggins and Mark Pope are still dropping balls, that these dudes still aren't there. They still haven't developed. And it's just like like their numbers say, it's 68 and I owe you one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you know what's, what's funny is, is that Manny's performance parallels six and eight. You guys are like adjoined at the hip. We are. I mean, yeah. They're dropping balls and I'm I'm just dropping just it. Period. Dropping stories. Yeah. I mean, just letting them slip right through your hands. Uh Kelvin, I want to get your thoughts on the quarterback conversation. Just because I know you talk to players and you know, they'll tell you things behind the scenes of what's really going on. And of course, none of us get to watch practice. Just uh the radio broadcasters for UM. I think those are the only guys there, Zagaki and uh 
your buddy Don Bailey, they get a chance to watch. But the rest of us have cooties, so we're not allowed to go and watch. Um, well, what are, you, what are you hearing? We got two pros. I mean, look, I got to be honest with you. I like Tyler Van Dyke when I saw him at Paradise Camp, and I actually thought he was better than Jake Garcia then. Now, the one advantage that Jake Garcia had was that he was a year younger, and he has gotten better. He has improved. And basically, we've got two pro quarterbacks. Like, honestly, I would feel good going into Alabama game with either one of those two dudes. Right. Uh, um, because they're both – I mean, Tyler Van Dyke, you know, you went up there and saw him. He's he's more of an athlete than people give him credit for. Came in early. He's a student of the game. Um, got a little snake bit, but, you know, it happens. But he's fought through it. And then Garcia, you know, apparently Garcia has a little Patrick Mahomes in him. But they both have great arms and good accuracy. So we're in good hands, you know. Not to mention that Ja'Curry Brown got kid. I mean, if he sticks, that's going to be a hell of a fight next year this time for the quarterback position. And with Restrepo, I was reluctant on him when he was a senior. But as I watched him play during his senior year, I was like, yo, that little motherfucker, a baller. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he has kept it going. You know, uh, I think uh, I think he's, he's sopping up everything that uh, – Mike Carley is, you know, teaching him and the coaches are teaching him. I think he's going to be a future star, too. And I think, you know what, from a culture perspective, Restrepo is what you want. A guy that was dying to be a cane, that wanted to be a cane, that gave up Ivy League offers to come to Miami. A dude that fights hard, that works hard and does all he needs to do to improve himself to get on that field. And I think that's going to rub off on everybody else. Yeah. And the fact that he has Harley as his mentor is even better because he's got a great mentor. Um, as his um, as the guy that he's looking up to. Oh, yep. and Harley's balling. Yeah, by Harley, the way, Elliot's back. Yeah. No, no, Elliot. Law and Order, SVU. He's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's coming back tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to try to hurry this up so that you can watch that. Kelvin. It's cut, Bro, dude, listen. It's, it's, it's 2021. There's some shit called DVR. You can <laughs> yeah. record that real quick and you don't have to miss anything. Yes, yeah, I mean, we record this at nine PM tonight. I got Xfinity, so hey, you know, good. He's good. cool. He's cool. By the way, you guys mentioned Restrepo. That's who I'm writing about. My story will be coming out in the morning, Friday morning here, April second. Um, I caught up with his uh, mom and father. Actually, this interview I saved from two years ago when I talked to him the day after he committed to, committed to Miami. And the interesting story about him is just, you know, his mom gave birth to him like two weeks after she turned 15 years old. She never even Whoa. got to go to high school um, because, you know, she got pregnant young and his she's father. From, he's, he's from Colombia, right? His father is from Colombia. Right. His Where, mom's, where's his mom? Mom's from here in, in, in Broward County, actually. Oh. But, uh, you know, there are not many kids who are born to 15 year old moms and 16 year old dads who are getting in trouble and kicked <sighs> out of school um, that end up becoming kids that almost end up going to Harvard to play football and then sign yeah. at Miami. So. It's a it's a pretty incredible story of just how you know connected he is with his parents and how much they live for him. I mean, his father's been training him since he was a little boy, signed him up for a bunch of different sports and said, you know what, whatever you like the best, that's what you're going to go after. And he loved football and was just really good at it. And he always yeah, man, let me tell you something, Manny. I, I'm a diehard Hurricanes fan and you know that mm-hmm. it would be extremely difficult for me as a parent to tell my kid, give up this f- athletic scholarship to an Ivy league school. Right. And go to UM because it's, you know, that sets you up for a different kind of future when you graduate from one of those schools. But I mean, well, I will say this. If you're going to live in Dade or Broward County, a university of Miami education. Oh, absolutely. It's valuable. It's yeah. valuable. It is. But when you're talking that network of an Ivy league school, it's, it's a different level. And, and so anyway, I don't want to spoil more of the story, but, Go check it out at The Athletic. I think we got dollar subscriptions for new subscribers. I know. Uh, Again, of course. Of course. Jesus. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't get me started on that. I'm paying, I'm paying <laughs> $60 a year out the ass, and this dude keeps running dollar subscription every, every time I come on the show. I think it only runs through April 5th, so you better sign up now. Um, I'm already signed up for another year, bro. I'm, I'm screwed. There, there you go. Um, anyway, uh, we've talked about the quarterbacks. We talked some about Restrepo and his big game. Um, 
let's look at the defensive side of the ball because I think that was a big deal, right? Manny Diaz taking over the defense. What's been the most notable development on that side of the ball from your mind, Carlos, a question or something that's come up uh, or an observation that you've made on that side of the ball? Well, listen, obviously everybody's concerned about the linebackers. And uh, so far, all we've heard is that Corey Flagg is, is continuing to develop and is the truth. But outside of that, everything is a little bit shaky. Avery Huff still hasn't picked up the defense. His athleticism is there, but still not there all the way. Tyreek Austin Cave hasn't stepped up all the way yet. And so far, it seems like Bradley Jennings is the other uh, starting linebacker. And God help us if that is the case, based on what we saw last year. If, unless Packy pulls some sort of magic out of his ass and makes this dude all of a sudden a baller compared to what he was last year, we need somebody to step up and make something happen. The other thing that we, we've all wanted to see is, like, who's going to take over a defensive end? You know, is Jafari Harvey going to take that next step? Is Cam Williams going to do it? And so far, the ends, have, from what we've read or what we've heard, they've been okay. Uh, I don't know if they've been stellar so far, but again, you can expect you're, you're going to expect of a bit of a drop off after the two guys that just left are going to be NFL draftees. One of them probably going in the top 15 after what Jalen Phillips just did in the uh, in the pro day. Yeah, and and I want to interject before uh, before Calvin gets back in here, but it was interesting that they didn't mention any sacks whatsoever in the scrimmage when Manny yep. gave his sermon. So, uh, look, part of that is, and, and one thing I think maybe we haven't stressed enough, but I'll make, I'll make a point of it here is there's some key guys out. It's not just Derek King who's out this spring. Uh, Will Mallory, a tight end is missing valuable snaps. Uh, Nessa Silvera is missing valuable snaps. Sam Brooks jr. Is missing valuable snaps. Um, That's the so, most important out of all of them. Yeah. And and then now blades obviously coming back from his, you know, bout with myocarditis, but uh it, look, there's five important guys, guys that you would say are going to play major roles next year, assuming they're healthy. And it's more than De'Aaron King. And as you mentioned, Sam Brooks Jr., this was really important for him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He, he could have gotten a stranglehold on that other starting linebacker spot. And now he's going to have to fight back in the summer to try and get to that spot uh, when other people are pushing ahead of him. But, I mean, based on what we've heard so far from the first scrimmage and everything that's going on in the spring, it may not be that difficult. Well, actually, Huff is doing pretty good. And um, I still think Corey Flagg is going to be the uh, Mike. It'll probably be Flagg. I guess Brooks will end up winning it. And then, you know, Frierson. Those will probably be the three backers. But I think the Austin Cave kid at Mike, um, they're probably cross-training him. Because I think he'll still go back out and play some striker. And then Huff playing Will, he'll be able to play striker. Uh, but I think Brooks, if he's healthy, will be the starting Will. And I'm, I'm good with that because he's pretty good. I just think Flag is uh, going to take a step to the next level. Yeah, everything they're and, saying is he has. He's doing it. And with the defense and defensive ends, uh, I don't know how much uh, DeAndre Johnson has practiced, but he's a fifth-year senior, and he played some – quality minutes, had quality starts in the SEC against some really good offensive linemen. So against the run, he'll definitely be a force. I think Zach McLeod is going to surprise people as a pass rusher, and I expect Jafari Harvey to have an 8-10 to sack season. Couple um, things, A couple things that impressed me, or at least that were said that impressed me, was you know, Coach Simpson, the way he was talking about Zach McLeod and how much he thinks he'll actually be able to help. And I think a lot of us just sort of thought, well, you know, whatever you get out of Zach McLeod next year is just a bonus. But he was talking about him maybe playing a major role um, if he continues to play the way he has this spring. And, and Kevin, you and I talked about this off air. You know, he has the body to play that position. He's weighing over 250 pounds now. And you talk about his explosiveness and the pursuit of the quarterback. And he mentioned himself, that's where he was supposed to play when he was recruited by Miami. He was supposed to be a defensive end. And instead, Manny moved him to linebacker because they had more of a need there. And I'm just curious from your perspective, I mean, do you think Zach McLeod could really move and be a number one defensive end? Uh, I think he'll be in a rotation. I think eventually he'll become an outside linebacker at the next level. Um that's probably the best suited position for him. And this is going to help because he's going to learn how to play leverage with pad level. And he's got the perfect guy to coach him in uh, Jess Simpson. But I think he's going to bring something to the table as a pass rusher. 
Yeah, I think yeah. you could fill that that Trent Harris, Demetrius Jackson role, that pass rush specialist. Yeah. Um, and I, look, we're not going to be as explosive out of the ends as we were the last couple of years. I mean, you got three guys that are going to top 60 picks. So, you know, come on. But I do think Jafari Harvey is going to make it happen. And I uh, think Chance Williams is going to surprise people because he's a natural pass rusher. I think I think one thing we're going to see for sure is you're going to see, you know, a lot of rotation at that position versus early, what on, you, early on for sure. Versus what you had last year when Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche were averaging close to 70 snaps a game and still producing at a high level. That's hard to do. And, you know, I when I interviewed Quincy a couple of weeks ago at that House of Athlete Combine and they shared it here on the podcast, that's what he talked about. He talked about how, you know, it's one thing to go out there and do it 15 to 20 snaps. It's another thing to do it 50, 60 snaps. And, you know, it's kind of like a pitcher going through the batting lineup, right? You, you save a pitch for the second and third time down the order. I think in, in this case, you know, guys like Jafari Harvey and Chance Williams are going to be the stars of this position eventually. But it takes them some time to develop into a guy who can play 60 snaps. And I think for to, to add some steadiness on the defensive line, I know those, those ends are going to be young. There's going to be a lot of rotation. There's going to be a lot of snaps shared. But at least a defensive tackle spot is has your top two guys returning and then some depth behind it to solidify it and add experience and at least add some some consistency there. Yeah, well, when we won the championship, it's because of the uh, defensive tackle position. Yep. But Jafari Harvey is going to be ready quicker than you think. I mean, like I told you before, I've watched this kid since he was in high school because his defensive line coach at Vero Beach was a classmate of mine at UM, Randy Bethel, who, by the way, brought Pat Bethel and has Keontae Cole at uh, Alabama. So he was he, – he's structurally sound, fundamentally sound as an end, and he continues to uh, talk with Bear. On top of that, um, what's his name? Uh, Jess Simpson, the, the combination of those two. I expect him to have a breakout year. I think Chance Williams is a little young, and now he definitely, I think, has to get used to playing a lot of snaps. But I don't think he'll have to worry about that because he'll be, he'll be, I think, a 20, 25 snap a game guy. Cam Williams, he's got a, he's going to, he really probably thought he was going to be the starter, but he's not going to be the starter, um, which I think is a good thing because I think he's a year away from being ready to go 60 snaps. And he needs to get a little bit bigger. Um, he's got a lot of length. Um, but I think between Johnson and McLeod on the strong side, that's a good combination. Two veteran guys. And then with Harvey on the other side, along with Cam Williams, and you got Chance Williams. We got we got good depth. Uh, not to mention the kids coming in. The, the Ishmael kid is long. And he's fundamentally sound. But the defensive tackle position with um, Harrison Hunt, Nesta, Ford, and Miller—that's going to be—that's going to be, that's gonna be the, the, the base, and that's going to be what I think anchors this defense and makes it a lot easier for everybody: linebackers, DNs, safeties, corners, everybody. Um, I want to flip it back to offense for a little bit. You know, we haven't really talked a whole lot about the running backs and. You know, part of that is we're, we're limited to what Manny Diaz tells us, whatever happens in the, in the scrimmage. Um, but he only mentioned that Don Chaney Jr., I guess, had 52 yards rushing and a touchdown in the, in the first scrimmage. And I've been working on a story on, on Chaney and, and what his focus has been. And I'm going to put this in one of my stories soon. But, you know, he's a guy who I think a lot of the old timers are embracing. You know, I caught up with his dad, who's now the head coach at Belen Jesuit High School, where he played. And he told me that Frank Gore and Willis McGahee have reached out to him and they're planning on working out with him uh, this summer uh, as they prepare, you know, I don't for, know if he's ready for that Frank Gore workout, <laughs> but he's been very focused on his footwork and trying to improve that because there were a lot of runs last year where he thought he could have gone from seven, eight, 10 yards to take it to the house. And that's really what his gift is. He's he, when he hits that second level, having watched him in person since the ninth grade, I mean, when he hits that second level, there are very few people who can catch him. And, you know, I think ultimately he's going to be the lead running back or the the star, the guy who can run for a thousand yards. But 
something interesting that was said by Rhett Lashley since camp started. He went on the radio and I guess talked to Joe Rose about this is he wants a number one guy. He wants a starter. He felt like last year there were two inconsistent sharing carries and spreading the wealth. And so I think there's an opportunity here. I know Cam Harris is the older guy, but I really think that if, you know, Don Chaney Jr. can can be that complete back and, and learn how to block, I personally think of the three guys, I think he's the best. Not that the other guys are not good. I just think he's the best of the three. And probably to phrase it differently, the most complete of the three. Because he has yeah. the strength, the power, the speed, right. and the vision. And I think Cam, to me, the, the one thing that Cam Harris lacks is good vision. Um, he's strong in the hole. He's got, he's got good speed. Um, but I think his vision sometimes is, is one of his biggest weaknesses. Um, Jalen Knight, and obviously his explosion is incredible. Uh, he's got good vision as well. But his, he's obviously not a power back. And there's only so much you could do with him in terms of running in between the tackles, although he's explosive. Well, yeah. he, he reminds me of Alvin Kamara the one thing that Cheney has to work on is pass protection. And that's the one advantage that um, Cam Harris has. Cam Harris is a, is a nice all around back. Cheney has got more upside, even more so than Knight, but Knight is explosive too. I think Cheney will be the starter. He'll get a few more carries than Harris. And I think they'll find a way to make light of uh Knighton in the passing game because he, getting to the perimeter, he's a problem. Now, do you but anticipate, let's say let's say Cam finds out or, or that's made very clear going into the summer after the spring that Don Chaney is RB1. Do you think Cam still sticks around? Where is he going? He could hit the portal somewhere. And go where? I, I think that's a problem, Carlos, for a lot of guys right now is they're seeing their buddies in the portal with nowhere to go. Yeah. That, por- that portal is a black hole. That's like you know, on Star Trek, you get you get uh kicked off the ship, and they're trying to beam you down to the planet, and they make a mistake, and they beam you into uh, uh outer space. You just float off because <laughs> there's nothing there. And I mean, realistically, where is he going to go? Where he's going to get twenty five carries a game and be yeah. seen? Yeah, it would have to be FAU, FIU. FAU, FIU, right. And, and at that point, they would have to piss off their players who they're trying to groom and come along, you know, to bring in this exactly. guy. I, I, one thing I wanted to ask you, Kevin, before we change subject, um, you were part of different teams at Miami. Some of them had true number one backs. Other ones probably had guys that split the load. Does it make a difference in your mind? Um, it didn't to them. Okay. But, you know, these kids are a little different. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so you I'm, have that, that that combo of James uh, James Stewart, Larry Jones, Donald Bennett. Yeah, well, I mean, the reality is, where are they going to go? Nobody gets 30 carries now. Well, I meant it more along the lines of getting into a rhythm for a running back. Is that something, you know, what Red Lashley talked about, is that something that makes sense to you that maybe you have a guy who's the lead role the first three quarters, and then the fourth quarter you bring somebody fresh off the bench yeah, who can tear it up? Yeah, well, I mean, the problem with that is, is that nobody does that. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be tough. I think I think three dudes is too much, though. I think you have one guy; it's that's the majority of the carries, and you have a changeup guy. That's why I think Cheney, Cheney, and Knighton work so well together. Um, yeah. One thing about it is Penn State did it last year. They had four guys. No, we don't. We don't. We don't want to talk about Penn State and how they ended up last year. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean. Alabama pretty much had one guy, but um, last year, right? And they're Alabama the year, who have like twenty yeah, running yeah, backs. Yeah. yeah, but the year before, that guy that we're talking about, mm-hmm. he was going to transfer. Okay. Um, I want to get to this before we wrap up. Offensive line, obviously, some changes uh, to the public. You obviously knew for a while that DJ Scaife was out at right tackle and. You know, Navon was in at right guard, and uh, our boy Jalen Rivers is with left guard. I know you're excited about this offensive line, uh, Kelvin. Yes. But before before I get to you, I'm going to ask my boy over here, Carlos Ledo. Um, are you as excited as Kelvin is about this offensive line? Uh, yes, yes. If if DJ Scaife isn't starting, <laughs> based on last year, 
Um, I think Navon coming back at guard and Jalen Rivers taking over at guard uh, over Ja'Kai Clark is going to be huge. The fact that Zion Nelson continues to improve and people are now saying that he's legitimately a, a possible first round pick, a left tackle after the way top his 10. career started him, the way his career started here top, in Miami. Top 10 pick. Insane to me. Uh, the fact that Ja'Kai Clark at some point will also take over Corey Gaynor the following season. And like I said on one of the previous shows, this offensive line is going to be a lot better this year, but I think the next year's offensive line is going to be even better because now you got Isaiah Walker also moving in there and you got Ja'Kai Clark taking over at center and you got a fourth-year senior in Zion he's not Nelson. Better, he's not going to be better than, no, Zion Nelson's not going to be bad. But you think he's out? It's going to be a top-ten pick. After this year? Yes. Kelvin's got that much confidence in his boy. And yet, so, most of the analysts that I spoke to for my story on Zion think that he'll probably be back for a senior year. But they do think he will be, a, you know, potentially a first-round pick. This is because Kelvin has started Kelvin Harris Management Sports Representation. <laughs> That's what no, it is. I mean. And his first client is Zion Nelson. Listen, if you need an attorney with you, dog, <laughs> you know I got you. It's only, Listen, I, I, don't need, I don't need the 3 to 5%. Just give me 1% of that bread. I'm good. Listen, the, the, the moment that he won a job as a true freshman, I knew he was going to be a first-round pick. Listen, I that mean, dude looked like a matador his freshman year. I don't know how the hell you saw that. Well, because I understood what he was going through and the techniques that he was, um, um, that way he was he was being taught. And on top of that, the, the general public doesn't understand how this offensive line thing works. No offensive lineman comes in and just that good. It just doesn't work that way. And. He's going up against a lot of good. Well, and, and and to your point, it's not necessarily just a guy one on one. If your buddy inside misses his assignment, doesn't pick up the twist, or misses a, a backer coming down in the a gap, and you guys have the wrong assignment, that hurts you too because it looks like you whiff, but it's really his problem. Well, he was just the technique that that um, Butch Barry was teaching for the tackles because um, he was a little bit he was he was keyed in on his one technique and. Um, you know, Garen came in and changed everything. And I saw, I was like, oh, okay, there we go. You know, once, once, once he went to, uh, you know, uh, a um, orthodox uh, kick step, I know you, know, you saw it right away because he's got mm -hmm. long legs, long arms. What do you think is going to happen in right tackle? They're probably alternate. So you think those, those split snaps? Between Scaife and Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's interesting to me because I, I don't know what's going to happen. I think if Jared Williams – I mean, obviously he was clearly better last year than, than Scaife, although Scaife played inside. I mean, maybe it's because Scaife was playing a guard that he wasn't comfortable and he had such a bad season because of that. But I don't know. That was it. Scaife thinks he's a tackle. That's the, that's the issue. Um, that, that was the reason. Yeah, and I'm sure that's why they, they let him go outside. All right, final thoughts, Carlos, as we sign off here. Uh, we get this thing wrapped up so you guys can go watch uh, whatever that is, CSI, yeah. NCIS. SVU, bro, come on. SVU. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't be dissing my man, Stabler. Yeah, for real. Carlos, your final thought. What do you got? Listen, man, I'm excited. So far, so good with the spring. I mean, obviously, we have no idea what's going on, so whatever they feed me through the media – is, is what I'm hanging on to, whatever I'm seeing on Twitter. Um, so I'm excited from what I've seen and I've heard so far. Hopefully it's true. Hopefully it transitions to the season. And then when all these guys that we talked about that are out come back, um, it takes it to another level. I think one of the great things that we saw this week during the, the pro day at the University of Miami was an example of the culture and how it's changed with the University of Miami, how together and united those guys were during the pro day working together, hyping each other up, huddling up before starting, talking about their love for the University of Miami, especially Brevin Jordan, and how appreciative they are of Manny Diaz and the opportunity they were given here to represent this university. And I think that's where it starts. It starts where you get guys that love the university, then produce and get drafted, and then that culture continues to permeate and you keep building off of it. So I'm excited about that. Well, we, we got a team that's um, reminiscent of how college football used to be. A lot of fifth-year seniors, freshmen who are good, who don't have to play. And if they do play, it's going to be on special teams and depth at every position. Um, you know, that's a lot of, you know, people got a lot of pains about Manny. But when you take a step back and look at what he's done, I'll take him over Dan Mullen any day. 
Florida is a dumpster fire waiting to happen. We're going, we're ascending. FSU is descending. Florida is descending. I mean, uh, I'm not saying it's kumbaya all the way, but it's a great situation. And the kids believe that they can win. They, they believe they can beat Alabama. They've been watching film. They're practicing hard. Not the only thing else to do is go do it. Well said. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm more worried about the Clemson game now. The Clemson game that's not even scheduled yet. Mm, yes. I see what he's thinking ACC title game. That's what he's doing. He's already stepped through stuff to happen. And he's already thinking Zion on first round. When he signs him after he leaves school, hitting the <laughs> ACC title game, the national championship, he's going to be there with a title around his neck and his, his camouflage face mask. And he's going to be I'm out gonna, in the crowd. I'm going to leave that age of stuff to you lawyers. I mean, <laughs> two, two, two professions that, that fit each other, grimy lawyers and grimy agents. I mean, they're perfect for each other. Hey, I, I got to let you guys go. I got my uh, kicking workout here shortly with Luis and Dejas. I don't know if you saw the picture of the 5'5", 290-pound kicker out there in Arizona, but he's in better shape than you. Left and I'm going to see how far I can kick it. Listen, dude, I got flatter arrays on speed dial if you need it. <laughs> Boys, thank you for another great episode of Wide Right. We will reconvene here soon, maybe before the spring game, April 17th, or maybe afterward. We'll see. Hey, and if Mike, if Mike Zimmerman really is a good producer, you know what he drops right now? What? That SVU sound. Dum dum. Yeah. We'll see what he's but, got. But we but we know Zimmerman is a is a bum. <laughs> All right, guys. 305-954-568. This is the state of Miami. Y'all know y'all come down that way.